Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. And today on Books That Burn, we are interviewing an author. Would you please introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Kevin Clare. Oh, and we're and <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, and 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 you're gonna ask me what we what books we're talking about, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So why don't I just say them? Um, Midnight Angels, Social Media Central and Winter Masquerade. I took over part of your own job. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> you're you're, you're all right. fine. <laughs> um, and then uh, what pronouns do you use? I just use he, him. All right. Cool. Excellent. I'm an old gay from way so- back. <laughs> <laughs> nah, like Good whatever pronouns we just, you know, yeah. want to make sure our audience knows what they are too. So, um, our first question that we love to start off with is, can you talk a little bit about the way trauma works in your writing? Um, where I really used trauma was in Winter Masquerade. And um, Winter Masquerade, I, I don't think this is quite a spoiler it does make it present itself as you read it but the very reason i wrote winter masquerade because um all my books any book i've written has an aspect of reality uh, from my real life or a twist on my actual life or my friends lives or something and winter masquerade is an alice in wonderland style feel book about a major character who is in denial that he's in an abusive relationship. And that was influenced by the fact that a very, very long time ago, back in the 1980s, um, I was in a nine-month abusive relationship. And I just sort of felt the courage to try to talk about it, but to write it in a way that would be easy for someone who may be in that situation themselves to read it and see that see themselves in it, but not in a harsh reality style book, in something that's a, a bit more fantasy. Well, that is fantasy, um, with with some slight, slightly darker moments. So that definitely came through reading it. Oh, don't worry. I picked up on the Alice in Wonderland vibe immediately. <laughs> Well, I mean, also the, uh, so one of the things that we on our, our podcast kind of really talk a lot about and, and really quite, quite really is, is actually the focus of our podcast is how the author in any particular book treats its readers and that, that kind of feel that like the reader is reading about this, but not going through it is incredibly just like the the fact that that was considered uh also kind of comes through in this book as well which is really cool yeah a lot of times that's kind of hard to 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 decipher out but yeah yeah i and and it was something in when i was writing it i i, I wanted for people who well for people who have been through it or are going through it or have never been through it to slowly pick up on Oh my God! This is what's going on in the main Ferris, the main character's life. When and this is why he's divorced from the real world at the moment. Because when you're in a situation like that, you just want to be able to get away somewhere and escape your life somehow. But 
there's this pride aspect that keeps you there because you're keeping up um, appearances for everyone else around you, especially because you don't want, as an intelligent person, you don't want your friends or anyone else who knows you to know that you're in that situation, that you could have been so foolish to put yourself in that situation. Not that you are a fool for being there, but you feel foolish and Mm. And you hide that fact, and and to to have to have made it obvious from page one, Ferris's dilemma in that in Winter Masquerade would have just made it sound preachy, maybe, or made it sound wrong. And the fact that um, the way the for people who haven't read the story, um, while he while Ferris is in this on on this fantasy cruise enchanted cruise liner at some stages the book goes into a steampunk darker version and the main uh, some of the main characters become nasty versions of themselves and you see ferris in danger at certain stages but then you realize ferris is also in danger in his real life and at some stage you can act that everything is okay and then at some stages you act as if everything's not okay. Actually, just as a side note, I want to point out that the three uh, main characters, uh, th- three of the main characters who are in the band that are rehearsing for Winter Masquerade, the darker versions of them were given to me by a 10-year-old because I still wanted a childlike version of their darker selves. And when this friend of ours, uh, Kyla, who was 10 at the time, said, when Olive is in her darker version, I said, you know, what, what, what should she be like? And at the 10-year-old said, make her, make her have homicidal intentions. And I thought, oh, my God, that's a, real, <laughs> that's a really good idea. What a dark thing for a 10-year-old to say. But, but yeah, that's a great idea. So every time the world goes steampunk, um, Olive, the harpist, turns into this crippled harpsichord player and he's always trying to kill Ferris, but he's trying to talk to him in riddles, trying to make him realise, just wake up to yourself, look at what's happening in your actual life. We're definitely going to follow up on this in the spoiler-filled section because I I just, I really loved this book and I have uh, more questions about that, like, thing specifically. Kind of... As a spoiler-free follow-up, do you tend to put more thought into the trauma itself or into the aftermath when thinking about how it affects the characters? I think because um, I've had theatre training in the past, and I think I think about it more in the context of when someone's going through it, their psychology, what they're thinking about, because. Having studied acting, an actor knows and a writer knows everything's in the subtext. It's what people are not saying or the way they're saying something or the way they're maybe um, hiding something from themselves and being delusional that pokes at the heartstrings of the reader or the what or someone viewing a movie or a, or a play. And I think that's at those moments, that's when... Um, I think it's more dramatic. Yeah, there can be drama in the aftermath, but um, say, for example, in a book that we're not even discussing today, but 
I'll, I'll use it. I'll use it as a point of reference. In my fir- very first novel, Drama Queens with Love Scenes, there's a spot where, at the end of a play, because it's set in the theatre district of the afterlife, at the end of the play, the main character, Alan, believes he's about to be um, reunited with Warwick, who he's been trying to chase, and he believes that they are now a couple. But in front of everyone, uh, Warwick turns around and is with the playwright Pedro. And it's all about the pain that Alan feels at that moment. Yes, there's, uh, there's aftermath. Of course, there's, you know, the grieving processes of anger and denial and all that, which are fun to explore. But I think there's, you know, there's more weight in that very moment something happens and then they, someone has to deal with it. Um, but it's the moment that I think is the most traumatic part of it. Yeah, that that this is kind of something where uh, we we talked about this before we actually started recording. But that that theater background for me, at least, is incredibly there and present in all of your writing. It's it's really cool too. It's it's something that like I think is is interesting and it gives it like a different kind of a feel. But also if uh, any of our audience are theater nerds and you just really love reading scripts, these books are going to hit every single, <laughs> every <laughs> single like good thing you like about writing. So yeah, definitely, definitely recommend. Yeah. I, I had, I, I had to, I, I have a fan of my first book who lives in Seattle and he's always um, said that he wanted to turn my first book into a play because he's involved in theatre. And I keep saying, yep, be, be my guest. I'm still waiting for him to do that. So so <laughs> oh, hopefully, man. TJ, if you listen to this podcast, please, the invitation's <laughs> out there. And Seattle's such a cool place to visit. I've been there once before and I'll gladly be there to, to, to on opening night or closing <laughs> night. Yes. Uh, okay, so uh, next with... So you've stated that some of your some of your traumas or a lot of the traumas in these books uh, come out of real life experiences. Have you ever started writing a piece of trauma in one of your books and either had it take over a little bit more than intended or just have more of a story impact than you originally thought it was going to? That's an um, that's an interesting question. I know when I was writing Winter Masquerade, there's and I won't. I won't make this a spoiler, but there's one. But there's one moment that's based on an actual situation I was in when I was trying to escape in a car. In the book, in real life, I I did escape, but it wasn't it wasn't an easy escape. I had to wait till my partner got tired of sitting on the on the bonnet and smashing the double thick um, windscreen with his fist and seeing this windscreen actually crack and his fist get bloodied and thinking, I can't, because it, uh, it was in, a, in an apartment block, so we're in a downstairs car park, so there's no way I could actually open the window and hit the little button to make the garage door of the car park open until he was tired and gone. Um, I've just pretty much given a spoiler, I just realised. But in the book, um, <laughs> okay. um, 
uh, this this scene is recreated, but it has to have a different ending. It has to has to go somewhere else for the actual story to work. Um, and in some ways, probably that was one of the hardest scenes to write when I was writing it because um, that was the that was own that was pretty much maybe one of the only scenes in that based on what actually happened in my actual life. I actually can't remember now because I, I wrote the book. Uh, the book was published um, in January 2020 and I usually work on books for several years. I work on various books for several years and between drafts, one sits away for three months while I go back to another book and work on the next draft of that. So I'm not sure how many of my real-life experiences are in Winter Masquerade, but that one I know is definitely there. At least I think it's there, or you may tell me. Maybe maybe I interested in that. You've read more recently than I have. <laughs> I don't think either of us would have had a reason to key in on remembering exactly which way you handled that particular scene. So... Um, Unfortunately, without pausing to read the PDF, I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> yeah, that was not that was not one of those moments that like stuck in my head as being like I mean it was momentous, but like it wasn't it's it's not the one that I have very like vividly in my in my head, in my memory. Okay. Which is okay. interesting cuz that's the one that's I guess like more emotionally meaningful to you and yeah. then <laughs> like there's other moments that i'm not gonna outline that definitely like stuck more stuck out more to me so okay yeah and and also there's the degree of like you just described a scene but said oh but the bit in the book isn't exactly that scene and then in my brain i'm like well i don't remember exactly <laughs> the scene you described so probably uh <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right it sounds like it's different <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, so you'd asked if that had more of a story impact than you intended. Did you answer this more as it having like, I feel like you kind of answered that something in your life had more of a thing in the story. Oh, yeah. Had more of a story impact. Yeah, that's okay. That's fine. Because if that's something, but but it's it's interesting because, you know, like when we think, you know, if you're writing something and it has more of a story impact, like to us as readers, the our initial thought is like, oh yeah, I planned for this character to go through this thing for like two pages and then five chapters later, it's still there. But if you have something that like comes up in your real life and kind of takes over, like that has even more of a, like an emotional weight to it. Yeah, sort of, <laughs> sort sort of. I I, I know um, there is so, there is so much from that initial relationship that this book because I didn't want this book to be based on that relationship in particular um, uh, because. I think for me, actually, no, I, I'll, I'll be honest here. Um, because we're talking about something that happened in the, and it was the mid 80s, I was surprised when I was writing this book how emotional I did get writing about this topic. Um, it was fun adding the fantasy scenes into it and the eccentric characters and and writing the darker 
moments when the world goes steampunk to try to have a fantasy version of the fear that someone's in in those moments. Also because it's the darkest, sometimes this is the darkest piece I've ever written in, in parts. But so much of other things that happened in that relationship, I, I did not put in this book because that's not what I was trying to do. And 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 say, for example, um, one of the, and I'm going to share this story, but I, I didn't use it in the book in any way, but it would have illustrated the, uh, the, the first bit of trauma where you go, what the hell just happened? When, when you, when you, before you start in one of these relationships, the person, uh, the person, the other person comes through as being the most romantic, wonderful human being and in no time, you know, gets them to move in with you um, because, you know, the romance part of this actual relationship in, in my life you know, within two weeks, it was so perfect and so, you know, amazing that we moved in together two weeks later. And on the, on the second day, I was, now, I'm, this, this is the weird thing. I think I was um, chopping vegetables for dinner in the kitchen. I think I was because I know I was, yeah, I must have been, I was distracted, you know, and my part, my partner was talking to me, and then suddenly, bang! I saw stars, and he actually punched me in the jaw, I think, or in the face, in the cheek. It's just not provoked. We weren't having an argument or anything. Yeah. We were just having a conversation, and this was his way of saying, "Now you're in danger. You know, now I'm in control." Yeah. And at that moment, you think, "What the hell? We've just signed a lease. Who is this guy?" Oh my God! What just happened? And then from yeah. that point, that point, you're on edge. You don't know what is going on, what danger you've put yourself in. I, the 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 weird thing was, I'm not a physically strong person, but I could always overpower him. But there was always that thing of, when's he just going to turn, and over what, and why? And at the end of the day, it's all about control it's about nothing else and you don't want to look like a fool to your friends who at the time know you're gay <laughs> um that you just entered this relationship that that you're in fear of that you just don't know how to deal with that when you're out of the ha- house and you're at work work is your safe zone and shouldn't be home should be your the mo- the place you feel the most safest and I wanted to get feelings like that through the book, even though those actual experiences aren't in the book. But I wanted the reader, whether they've been here, are here, or have never been here, pick up on for Ferris. And that illusion you you keep putting yourself into where you want to make the world make-believe almost you know you go to work and you've got a bruise on your face and you're trying to make an excuse of how it happened but once it starts happening too many times work colleagues kind of know it they kind of step around it and the longer you are in a relationship like this the harder it is to get out 
and and again, it's it's it comes down to that pride thing of you don't want people to know you're in this predicament, but how the hell do you get yeah. out of it without actually moving cities, make doing something so out there that you um that you have to escape, but you can't escape and live in the same in the same town. I do think that's an interesting because you've kind of flipped that concept in in masquerade because instead of creating a world where you're safe the fake flipped world is the one where he's in danger or or obviously acknowledging the danger i i I think i think that's what i wanted because as i said uh, um and anyone who reads the book he's in this wonderful charming alice in wonderland scenario but at certain stages, it goes steampunk, but dark, scary, horror steampunk, and he has to survive those moments. And that's the reality of being in a relationship like that. You, everything can be wrote. And, you know, even the, like the makeup sex is always so much more passionate and you believe that, no, there's real love here. He actually loves you because... Look at how intense and passionate the sex is because it's the total flip side of what sometimes is going on in this relationship that you have to be wary of, that you have to watch out for. And that's what I wanted to portray in the book. But, you know, writing a book that's basically about a abusive relationship, well, that's not something that's easy to read. And that's right. what, and and so another reviewer um, who read this made the comment that at one stage Ferris, uh, one of the other characters asked Ferris, where would you like to go? Where would you, you, you know, Ferris says something like, I'd just like to get on a plane. Or where would you, you and, your, and your boyfriend like to go? And he says something to the effect, no, I just want to go by myself. Mm-hmm. And when you, I remember that. Yeah, and and I think that's why I gave Ferris this enchanted cruise liner to be in. That's that's now his safe space, but sometimes it's not. And and as people who read the book, they they start working out how Ferris and the other characters work out when this world changes into a dangerous place for. For Ferris, that I won't give that spoiler away, but yeah, that's something that becomes evident in the book, and Ferris then realizes that that's what he has to do in order to get to that darker place, that steampunk place where he's not safe. But he has to go there in order to find his way back to the real world. Which is an it's an interesting kind of way to 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 analyze it. Uh, metaphorically and analyze it in the the book. And, and of course, the the whole idea of Masquerade, um, because I knew Masquerade would always be in the title and it would be, there would be an actual Masquerade ball in it, but it's that thing of you are putting on a mask for society because you don't want them to know what's actually going on in your life. While you're pretty much, you know, freaking out, thinking, how do I get out of this situation? And and ideally, how do I get out of this situation without anyone knowing? But at the end of the day, someone has to know 
Otherwise, you don't have an escape plan. Yeah. It's, it's, if you could leave by yourself with no support network, then you would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Robin? Yes. So, uh, we also like to ask about how you, how authors portray different aspects of characters. And so I wanted to know, what is your approach to incorporating uh, visible characters of color in your work? Something uh, that, what do you do to make it go beyond social coding? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that, that's a really interesting um, dilemma. I think us as white Caucasian authors have my my now husband, my partner, who I've been with uh, th- uh, for thirty years this year in twenty twenty. Uh, he is Aboriginal, and the Actors and Angels series, the three books that uh, have got drama queens in the title, are based, are loosely based on Warren and myself. And and one of the things I, re- I remember, some, someone saying this: if you don't put in a hint that someone is of a different ethnic background. Too many readers just assume they're white characters, but mm-hmm. how do you get? But how do you go about dropping a hint? And one thing I regret um, is in drama queens with love scenes, I mention Warwick, who's based on Warren, um, his skin colour, but you don't want to. But um, and and there's and and there's. And almost like you don't want to make it a sexualized thing. You don't want to make it. You don't feel like you right. should be pointing it out. But how do you get right. around it? I'm. Uh, I've been writing, uh, working on uh, a book for quite a few years now called The Midnight Man, and one of the minor characters is Asian, and one of the minor characters is Aboriginal. The thing is. It's not important for the Asian character to be Asian, but when I create my characters, one of the first steps I do is just go and look, do do an image search on Google Pictures and find the type of, try to look for people who I think are the characters. And with this Asian character, I I wanted, I just wanted a, a younger gay couple and I just typed in young gay younger gay couples and there was this couple I thought oh they're perfect um and just one of them just happens to be Asian yeah but and and they're perfect and you know and then I do this whole thing where for each character I do and this was a a a process I saw a writer who writes for HBO do for each character he he writes head and works out their education what they believe um, you know, what their general IQ is. Then he writes heart and he works out their past relationships, um, if they're single or if they're looking for someone or if they're not looking for someone, if they're looking for someone, what it, what is their romantic ideal? And then he writes below, which is what they are attracted to sexually or what maybe their sexual kinks are. And even if you never use that in your story, 
it does give a flavour to your character when you're writing them. And the other thing I'll give them is a catchphrase. I've actually gone off the, the actual topic of this this question, but <laughs> but, 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 but basically, okay. but basically for for um, for Tony, I just make one reference to him being Asian. And I think that's all we need because I'm not writing about the Asian experience because I can't. I really can't write from that point of view. The other character who is Aboriginal, um, his name's Henry, in Aboriginal uh, urban culture, the terms blackfella, whitefella are quite common. And there's actually a wonderful song by the Warumpi band called Blackfella, Whitefella that has been covered by different artists as well, like Powderfinger, who are a white band, because it's such a cool song about it doesn't matter what your colour as long as you are a true fella. So so for Henry, he just he, he just points out, uh, uh, someone else says, you're too political, and, and he says, I'm a black fella. We're all political. I just think that's the way around it. But I can't, but, you mm-hmm. know, but, but truly, I've learned I can't write from that experience so I'm not going to. But dropping a hint that this person is of a certain ethnic background is the only thing I can really do. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. Um, so, well, that's that's the, the biggest rule I know is don't use food to describe people's skin tones. <laughs> yeah, just don't just don't do don't. that. Yes. I, I do think it is it's really funny because so uh we are two Americans, right? And that uh cultural reference is not something I knew about until just now. And so reading the book, I did pick up on the description and had no clue that that was that was actually a cultural reference. But having that contextualized, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, but it but it is kind of funny to to like read a book written with these these references that that I have no no touchstone for, and I don't even recognize. And like I don't know, it's 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 one of those things where like that's not even something that I would think to Google and see what it is talking about. Yeah, I, but I, it, it works. The, but it works even without me knowing the reference. I still like I can pick up on that characterization. I, I, I often have fun because uh, now I've actually with my publisher Nightstar Press, I've now got a London-based editor. But in the past, I've always worked with American editors, and because of this, I created Nate and the New Yorker and Nate's Last Tango, and they're about an Australian and an American. MM romance stories. And in it, because of the fun I've had working with American editors and trying to work out what different phrases mean, that's why I wrote <laughs> two books okay. called the Nate that are also in paperback, in one paperback called the Nate and Cameron series. And the first and, and, the, and Nate and the New Yorker is only 99 cents if you download it through your favorite ebook retailer just free play there <laughs> but i but i but i wanted to play with this whole idea of um right um red pepper is a capsicum uh where's waldo is where's wally um and it's uh, on, on on occasions i've been in america and and i had this 
experience where in a supermarket while trying to buy ingredients because I was cooking dinner for our hosts that night, trying to oh. work my way through what different things are called. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, like Good luck. I, 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 I knew I couldn't say ground chilli because – um, yeah, what's that? No, so the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. We call it. We call yeah. um, a bowl of chili. We call it chili con carne. But you call chili red uh, red peppers, and I was like, oh, okay, because there's different type of peppers, bell peppers, which we call capsicum. And it was just this this ten minutes with this woman. We we're trying to work <laughs> out what I was trying to say and the differences <laughs> in language. And oh, and so man. and so and so the Nate and Cameron books are all the play on the way different different things are called something different. Yeah. When you say when you say someone's pissed, you mean they're angry. When we say someone's <laughs> pissed, we mean they're drunk. Um, yeah, that yeah. one I knew because of course. Yeah, I, I do know that one. Of yeah. course, that's the one that gets known in America. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, because well, there's also like this extra layer where like I know that because that's something that British English also has. Yeah, and so most of the context that I have experienced that is people doing wordplay where they know it's going to mis be misinterpreted, and <laughs> yeah. where they're saying that someone's angry, but they want you to briefly think that it means drunk or vice versa. That's like uh, the yeah. main context where I found that pairing. Yeah, and 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 in the past, and I'm not doing it now because um, I think uh, Winter Masquerade was my first book not written in in American English and spelling. I I used to have to uh, I used to automatically just start writing pavement instead of footpath, or if I say a bench top, which refers to a kitchen bench top, you guys call it a countertop, I think. Yes. Yeah, and if I say bench top, you won't know what I mean. Whereas now, I, I thought you meant like a park bench. I was, exactly that would have exactly. been my guess. <laughs> oh, absolutely, and and that's why um, now that I've got a London editor with my publisher. I'm okay. I'm I'm using footpath. I'm actually starting to use my own language. And not trying to <laughs> use American language because trust me, with, with my first pub, with my first publisher and Mary Belt, my first, we had so much fun reinterpreting America and Australia, and even in drama queens with love scenes, I introduced a Monopoly board because it's part of the magic realism in it, where one of the characters starts um, starts being on an actual Monopoly board. And the whole street names are different. She started mentioning, oh, yeah, this street could be that, could represent this. This street was like, those aren't streets on a Monopoly board. Don't tell me America has its <laughs> own version of Monopoly as well. And sure enough, yes, it does. And then I, and, oh, and, so, yeah. so here's the thing. Not only do we have our own version of Monopoly, but every time there's a popular movie, they make a version of Monopoly that's like just for that movie. So there are... And I don't know how much like those like special versions of Monopoly make it outside of the U.S. Oh, I hope I hope they go global with no context. There are so many. So not <laughs> yeah, not only are, is the board uh, different, 
But then, even within the US, there are different versions of the Monopoly. We have two. Oh, we have two. Game of Thrones, Monopoly, Simpsons, Monopoly. Yeah, yeah. But the general Monopoly board that I've grown up with all my life is based on Britain, is based on, you know, Bond Street, Mayfair, and all that, which are not. On the American monop- general monopoly so you board, don't, and that's you don't me. have boardwalk, do you, <laughs> or park place? You do? No, no, we we have boardwalk, but not the second one you said. Not okay, park place. Those are like the two. F- those are the two that on the American board. I think you want to own. Yeah, the yeah, rich those ones. are the last yeah. two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's wild. That is wild. That is not a game that I would have thought of as as different. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, see, I yeah, it makes I w- sense because I... it's based off of actual location. So, like, of course, it would be thinking about it. But like, then again, I'm not I'm not a Monopoly player. I don't really enjoy that game, so it's not really something I think about a lot. Yeah, <laughs> see, fair. I assume I had thought that. Yeah, this is me learning that the streets are different elsewhere because <laughs> I had assumed that we had the British one because nowhere else in my life do I call something Reading. Like, <laughs> but on the Monopoly board, <laughs> Reading Road is one of the things. And I had assumed that was because it's a different place. But I, as I remember, I think it's actually like Reading because, like, that's a place and that's just like a city in Pennsylvania. Ah, yes. Reading, Reading, Pennsylvania. Yeah. So. Yeah, we, did, we yeah, definitely don't like, have Reading, but it did sound, but that does sound more English than, than I would assume. Yeah. Also, people yep. mispronounce that as reading all the time on purpose because they don't think reading makes sense. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it definitely but... feels like a non-American thing. Uh, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Nicole, did you want to ask the next <laughs> question? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, this is going to be probably our last one in our, our spoiler-free section. So uh, we've talked a little bit about about just trauma in general, about characters of color. Do you have a a particular approach to writing characters with disabilities? No, I, yeah, I haven't written one because, again, a lot of my characters, some characters are based on real people or hybrids of real people. And some of them are totally have to represent something, like in Winter Masquerade, the different characters have to represent different things. And in Social Media Central, the three main influences um, had to represent three different types of influences that may be around in the future, even though even though one of them, uh, the love blogger kind of lost yeah. his lost his way to what I wanted him to be because halfway through that book I started pantsering more than sticking to my actual plot. <laughs> okay. You know, he, he, he ended up with a girlfriend that um, because that character who was only supposed to be a minor character demanded to have more time in the book. That she was a uh, she owned a bookstore <laughs> and it's like, oh this is a character who really wants to have a starring role here and she's taming my love blogger, who I wanted to represent actual intim- uh, intimacy in a future that doesn't have enough intimacy. 
Um, but I digress. So, so, so I, I don't, I, I avoid writing definitely people with disabilities because I don't know anyone with a disability. I, I have a, with different ethnic backgrounds, I wouldn't presume to, to try to write people from different ethnic backgrounds. I mean, I obviously wrote uh, a character named Warwick who's from a different background because he's based on my husband. Um, the only other person I've based from a different um, background is a Muslim character in a free story that I have that you can download off my website or various other places called Conversations with an Angel because that was taken from an actual watching a friend in a relationship with a lovely um, Muslim guy who's had to keep his relationship secret from his family because if they knew about it and what did happen in the end, sadly, uh, they pretty much took him out of that relationship, kidnapped him, and even though that's not in the story I wrote, watching the difficulties he had, having to keep it secret and also trying to not being totally honest with his partner because he was embarrassed about not having the freedoms that his Western westernized partner has. So, so it's only through observation I can write about these characters, but as I actually don't have anyone with a disability, it, oh, actually, no, I do have, but his, his life's not that interesting he's, he's <laughs> to write about. <laughs> um, um, he hasn't had a, a story that I could pick up on and, and write about from his context. Um, um, so I don't put that in my stories, or maybe one day I will if I meet someone who I think he, he'd make a good character. I guess I haven't really answered your question, but I kind of have in a roundabout way. No, I hate. I mean, you have because the the answer is essentially that since you are a writer who tends to take like people and stories and things from from real life and turn them into fiction instead of being someone who who comes up with a concept in your head, you know, your yours comes from observation. So your approach is that you're not trying to co-opt or force a character in there that that you don't just have a concept for. Yeah. That's a perfectly fine answer. Which is fair. Yeah. So we're going to head into our outro questions. Sure. So the first thing that we wanted to ask is since we've talked a lot about trauma and, and specifically, what is your favorite non-traumatic thing in any of your books? Preferably spoiler-free, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of my favorite non-traumatic things is the character Guy, who's an angel who can't fly, who is first, um, who is first introduced in, in Drama Queens with Love Scenes, and the reason I love 
him and what he represents is because to me he was a secondary character but when that book was published reviewers and readers kept talking about him and they loved him and they wanted him to be the main character they wanted the love interest to be between alan and guy and the sad thing is i was already well into writing the sequel and guy wasn't even in it and all of a sudden i realized <laughs> oh my god this character has has more of a connection with readers than the main characters so that so so that's one of my favorite non-traumatic things because he himself guy was um originally based on and and i'll just uh, just for people read, listen to this podcast by the time guy is in midnight angel he's a much more confident person but when we first meet him in drama queens with love scenes he's a very insecure person and he was based on an actual person we knew who was very self-conscious very insecure but still pushed himself to be in the middle of of every of everything you know he pushed himself to try to be more confident even though he was freaking out in any social situation he was in but he didn't hide away he made sure he was there guy is not quite that person he's more reserved than that and he took on his own personality as I was writing the book but he's one of my favorite things in any of my books because readers connected with this insecure true friend that could give you words of wisdom and at the same time you wanted to befriend him as Alan does because you realize he also needs help through the situation um he's in through the way he deals with life so so yeah and i think everyone all readers connected with him cuz like that's the type of friend we want to have he's he's both supportive and says wonderful things and supports us but boy we also want to help him gain confidence and do things for him nice that's really sweet um do you have a favorite book written by someone else and if so what makes it your favorite um this is not a queer book but there's but there's a wonderful book called Jasper Jones written by an Australian author named Craig Sylvie. And in fact Craig Sylvie has just released a new book called Honeybee which we've bought but we haven't read yet. But Jasper Jones which came out a while back is a tale of a teenager in a 1960s small town that's full of racism. And Jasper Jones um comes to his bedroom in the middle of the night and Jasper Jones is a local aboriginal kid and Jasper J- Jones takes the main character to a what could be well, what is a murder scene and gets him involved in this scenario that sparks the rest of the novel but at the same time the other relationships in this novel the young asian kid who who is a great um cr- cricket player is never given the chance because he's asian in this racist town and even when when 
he finally does something that the whole town approves of is a beautiful moment. But it's such a beautifully written, both whimsical, sometimes dark novel that has has been so obviously well written over time and is just perfect and such a gorgeous story to read. I, I totally recommend everyone to pick up a copy of Jasper Jones by Craig Sylvie. Uh, do you have any queer authors or authors of color whose work you'd like to shout out? Um, one of my favorite authors, um, Christian Baines, he's written a book called Puppet Boy, which is one of my all time favorite books, um, about a very dark teenager, um, dark as in personality, who uh, in the very first chapter you realise he's been left alone because his mother has dreams of making a big in Hollywood and often leaves him alone to chase up these Hollywood dreams. So he's there to fend for himself. And in the first chapter, he's tied up in the basement, I think in the basement or in some room, an intruder that came into their home and has got him captive there. It's a wonderfully dark book. And another queer book I absolutely love is called London Triptych, and it's by, uh, I'm just getting the author, Jonathan Kemp. It's a British book. Is it a British book? Is Jonathan Kemp British? I think he is. He may not be. Check that. But it's three different stories that we keep going back back and to from. One set in the later 1800s around one particular character who's who's a rent boy, a male-to-male prostitute. A a second character who's a middle-aged character who's still in the closet in the 1950s. And a character in the 1980s who's in jail. But what this book is actually about is self-inflicted homophobia or internalised homophobia of these three different characters in three different time periods. And it's a absolutely beautiful exploration of internalised homophobia from three completely different characters in three different periods of time, all set in London. They're my recommendations, yeah. And last but not least, where can our audience find you? Find me or my books? But, well, <laughs> probably, probably your books. Uh... Look, um, um, I'm public. Uh, most of Majority of, of my work is published through Nine Star Press. I've got a few short stories in other anthologies. But if you just go to the Nine Star Press website or any any bookseller, whether it's Smashwords, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, they're available at, at all the usual outlets. Yeah, yeah. Or just come to my website, Kevin Clare, Clare's this weird German spelling, dot com. And that is uh, K-E-V-I-N-K-L-E-H-R dot com. Yes. Yeah. You can find out all about me. You can even listen to old radio documentaries of mine. And you can have a look at a short-lived podcast called Pride Reads where I got a few other authors to read from their works. But I haven't chased up a second series of that soon because it's, you know, not where I'm focused at the moment. And then... uh... 
do you have social media handles you want to plug? Oh, look, I'm definitely always on on Twitter. Um, probably that's where you'll mainly find me most of the time. And I, I usually put out a blog every two weeks and, you know, you'll find that at kevinclair.com. Yeah, yeah, they're probably my main, where you'll mainly find me on social media. I do have an Instagram account. I do have both a personal and author Facebook account, but Twitter is where I mainly live. Excellent. And it's Kevin, uh, actually, it looks like Instagram is Claire Kevin, and then Twitter is Kevin Claire. Yes, because apparently on Instagram, Kevin Claire was already taken. So, so it had to, so it had to be Claire Kevin. And, and my, and my author Facebook page is actually called Drama Queens with Love Scenes because originally it was just to promote my first book. And when I had the chance to change it to Kevin Claire, I thought, I'm not sure where the original Facebook is, address is linked from, from, you know, because I've, was was had that had that set up for so long I didn't want to change I didn't want to change the the actual URL of it because it just I'm yeah oh Warren's looking at me going you're still talking yeah this is a very in depth conversation Warren have <laughs> <laughs> <Are we> timed it <laughs> <laughs> yeah we do have it timed on on <laughs> technically you, on yeah. our recording software yes. actually actually <laughs> well. Uh- Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was lovely to have you. Thank uh, you for having me. It's been great books. to be here. Thank you. Uh, and then people can find us at bookstheburn.com. We have a link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash books that burn that can get you the links to everywhere else. Uh, we've got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. The Instagram is mostly cat photos. As of Recently, we have a TikTok. I don't know what we're going to do on it. Uh, but technically, can I just say, look, also, if you go to my Twitter, you'll find my link tree, which also has my YouTube account, which, you know, features the some of the trailers of some of these books, which feature actual actors in them. Oh, and, cool. and And lots of, and lots of holiday, lots of holiday footage of when we've gone on little trips overseas so you know you can fantastic yeah and you can also see there's a there's also a wedding video of when warren and i got (laughs) married in 2018 oh awesome excellent cool yeah so uh check us out uh you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts uh if you just heard the spoiler free half and you'd like to get the spoiler filled half you can become our patron at patreon.com slash books that burn and uh again thank you so much for joining us and audience you can catch us on our regular fortnightly episodes and whenever our next interview with another author comes out